Hey travelers, it's Sparks Valentine here with Erica Nerdyogi and, and Foxfires. And welcome to Dyson Dish, the tabletop RPG roundtable discussion podcast, where the three of us are going along on travels, talking about three different topics every episode, and meet some interesting adventures along the way that we bring into our silly discussions. So we really hope that you enjoy the episode and that you continue along the travel with us. So I guess we'll see you along the road. All right, Erica, go ahead and roll that dice. All right, here we go. Okay, so uh, first up, Foxfire, it is your topic. All right, so uh, for this episode, we had discussed talking about where we thought tabletop gaming was going in the future. And I think, just based on trends, tabletop gaming will continue to move to more of an online space. And I say that just because I've taken note of a lot of online tabletops popping up over the last, at least that I've been seeing over the last few months, um, including one that I saw a trailer for like a month or so ago, where it's a 3D tabletop that you can actually look through the eyes of your miniature on that tabletop. So you can fully immerse yourself in that world. Almost like a video game, but it's D&D still. And, I mean, obviously you already have other things like Roll20. I believe the name of that one was Mirrorscape. Um, that you can see through your miniature. And, obviously, you've already got things like Fantasy Grounds and Roll20 and Foundry, VTT. And now D&D Beyond has their own little map that you can use. So, and and obviously not only the map, but D&D also, D&D Beyond also has their character builder and things like that, that just can make the game a little, a little more accessible and easier for people to learn, at least for D&D. And other things such as Pathfinder and World of Darkness are also making online portals that are of the same vein. So while I still feel like it's no competition sitting down at an actual table I do feel like it is becoming much more it, it's it's just going online a lot more and becoming more accessible to people across the globe what are your thoughts I I have a very skewed view of this because um, I'm lucky enough to have two groups that I can play with consistently in person. So I don't, I'm not forced to go online in order to play TTRPGs. So my opinion is very much from what I consider a very privileged opinion. And I live an hour away from a game store and I'll drive there and back to play in person. I don't like playing online. I, um, you know, some people say that I have ADHD. I don't know if I do or not. I haven't been diagnosed, but I do get distracted very easily. Um, you know, and that's just the way I am. So when I'm playing online, um, it's very easy for me to just 
wander off. If I'm at a table and I can control the things I put in front of me, I can't have like all these windows open and looking at other things and like, you know, oh, well, here's a new trailer for whatever. And then the next thing I know, I'm watching YouTube and that's disrespectful to the people at the table or the virtual table. And it's disrespectful to the DM. I personally, for the way that I function, do better in person. But I also understand that if you live in a place where you don't have people locally to play with and you have to play online because that's your situation, I get how it would be appealing and it looks really cool. Like the stuff that they're doing with the Unreal Engine for, you know, D&D 6 or 1 or whatever they're calling it at this point in time. Um, I think it does look really neat and, um, you know, them having like skins and spell effects and everything, you know, the D I call it D and D Fortnite, uh, which I think that's what it'll turn into, you know, microtransactions out the ass, but that's my opinion. I could be wrong. Um, but I live in a place that I have to drive 20 minutes to be able to even do this podcast because my internet sucks. I live in the middle of nowhere. I have satellite internet, so um, when it rains, I have no internet, so I don't have the ability to play online, even if I wanted to. I'd have to come to my office in order to play, so I I can see why the industry is going online. I think younger generations of gamers, that's where they play. Um, when I look around at cons, you know, the generations and the ages that are sitting at tables in person, they're not... 20-year-olds, they're 30 and older. Um, there's, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, like, kids playing either. I could see to the generations that are coming up. You know, they game online. They're used to being online. They're better at, at navigating online, you know, streaming and microphones and building computers. Like, they are more technologically based and have more knowledge in it. So I could see why they would choose to play online. Versus somebody like me who started with pencil and paper and books. Um, that's my opinion. So I agree with you. I think that VTTs will be huge. And I think that they will get better and better. And people like me and the old grognards. Um, I hope it never goes away. Because I suck at, at technology. Um, that's why we have Sparks. Because Sparks helps me with technology. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without them. So just being 100% honest. Yeah, Sparks is definitely the uh, <laughs> the technician over here. He's IT. That is that is my thoughts. Sparks, I'll kick it to you. Uh, I definitely... I do see it becoming more and more apparent in the like way that people are going to play. I am of the generation that's kind of, I guess, mixed with that. It's, you know, we have the online gaming, we have all this, but I still enjoy playing in person more than I do online. Um, just because I like the physical, I don't want to say comedy, because we're, I mean, we're kind of funny in our games. We're very stupid, and you don't really get that if you do it online. You don't really have that physical comedy or the physical body language that you get when you have when you play online but i definitely do see a lot more popping up um 
I mean, even like you had brought up a few, there's a new one. We did a um, Candela game the, over this weekend, like over the weekend after this, before this was recorded. Um, uh, and there's a website, it's called Demiplane. And it had a character yeah. builder for Candela, Pathfinder. It had all these, and you could create a campaign that has a dice roller in it, that has a map location in it, has your character you can bring in. So it's a lot like all of those other ones, but I don't, I didn't really get much into it because it was just the easiest way for them to make their characters because we were playing online for that. Um, so I can definitely see it going. And like you said, Erica, like when we go to cons, it isn't a lot of people my age that are playing unless it's like a different system or something other than D&D. So, and I mean, most of the time people my age aren't going to go to those type of cons. So it's like, it's really, it's really interesting to see like this, like, hobby that we enjoy so much in person the new generation or the next generation isn't gonna get to really experience that or they'll find it weird because we're gaming in person but i do i do want to say though with virtual tabletops i know a lot of people integrate them into their home games building them into tvs or building god building tvs into desk to have a virtual tabletop so that way mm-hmm. it's not your table is not crowded with minis and um terrain but having terrain is it's fun to have it on the table because then you actually get to fuck around and mess with it but for space for the person that doesn't have a lot of space i think having something like that is going to be i can well, see that happening more in the future well, and as far as, like, the, the people that bring the tabletop and put it in their actual table, um, it could also be a cost thing, because while it costs more to do it initially, in the long run, you're not going to pay as much for miniatures or terrain or anything like that. So, yeah, you may drop, I don't know, $2,000 on the table, give or take, probably more. But in the long run, you're probably going to spend way more than that if you play any tabletop games for a significant amount of time but yeah i i do agree with you sparks that i think the next generation is going to be playing the game mostly with their nose stuck in a tablet as opposed to old-fashioned pen and paper just because that's what you see a lot of now because of the convenience and because the online character builders tend to make it easier like i use it as an example again D beyond i can build a character in two minutes the terrain comment is really tearing erica up for those that are not watching no, the YouTube no video. I, I so some of this overlaps with my my uh topic so I'm just trying to keep my thoughts that over that overlap with this for mine, so well, I don't. We can go ahead and go to yours now. if you want I was to. About to say, yeah, it's, it's a perfect segue. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I didn't want to like cut y'all off if anybody no, else had something they wanted fine. to add to it. So, because mine is going to take a minute for me to set it up, and um, apologies to like 
this, we're recording this. I don't know when we're going to put this out exactly. That's all Sparks Department. But apologies if you're tired of hearing about this. It is something I saw and I was like, man, I want to talk about this. And literally today, Professor Dungeon Master put out a video about it. I was like, oh, shit. He beat us to it. But, you know, that's all right. I respect that man. So, Deathbringer, I'm ready for you. So, all right. So, I don't know if y'all saw this on Twitter um, Big Rig, Ben Riggs, excuse me, the author of Slaying the Dragon, A Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's, it's a book that's on my shelf. I haven't had time to read it, but I've heard great things about it. He put out a tweet, and it's a very long tweet, and I'm just going to hit some highlights, and I just want y'all's thoughts on it. So, the big thing about it is, um... The golden age of TTRPGs is dead. We are watching a bright and special time in TTRPG industry pass away before our eyes. Around the start of 2010, we saw the dawn of a golden age of TTRPGs. Since then, huge numbers of players have found the hobby thanks to Stranger Things, actual plays like Critical Role. The new fans discovered a vibrant and thrumming TTRPG industry. There was D20 Fantasy family of games dominated D&D 5e but rich with other published under the OGL and then he kind of talks about like the depths of the old school renaissance of uh, mainstream publishers bringing in brands like Call of Cthulhu, Deadlands, Shadowrun and uh, Apocalypse World and he kind of touches on some other things about other other systems that have popped up you know like Middle Earth um but the doom of our time approaches in the wake of the opening open gaming license scandal of the past year. The number of companies have successfully launched new TTRPGs to move past the, poly, poly, uh, the possibility of Wizards of the Coast ever threatening their business again. And he touches on how the OGL crisis spawned things like Critical Role making Candela Oscura, you know, they're putting out Dagger Hearts, um, you know. It, it helped Goodman Games. Pathfinder, of course, has changed their kind of their ways and um, made it during the time made their system a little bit more 5e friendly. And is it going to stay that way? And we also have like, Matt Colville who put out a Kickstarter that just like kicked like ass and made millions of dollars in the span of a day. And so he talks about how in 1990, TSR was the first company to publish Dungeons and & Dragons, and they published several settings. They released Greyhawk, and they released, you know, um, Ravenloft, and they kind of splintered off these different uh, settings, and the, the audience became divided, right? And that's what he is insinuating in his very massive tweet that... Because of all, like, Cold Bowl Press is putting out, you know, their system as well. And these other big names in the industry who have brought people in. Will Matt Coville's channel still be about 5th edition? Will the Dungeon Dudes, now that they've sold Dragonheim to Wizards of the Coast, will they stay with 5e? Or will they do something new? Like, all these movers and shakers in the industry were all part of one pillar, 5e. And now they're all kind of breaking off and making their own things. What happens when that to our industry, when that happens? Mike Rolls, the former, you know, uh, he was laid off from Watsi before Christmas, um, but he's been there forever. And he was talking about, he responded saying that 
that he feels like Ben is wrong. The age of of one company making decisions is dead. Now it's in the hands of the audience or in the driver's seat. Let us hope that they hit they hit the gas. Basically, like now because of the barrier to entry to be in the TTRPG space is lower. And me and Joseph Goodman kind of talked about that when I had a small discussion with him a couple weeks ago. You know, when he was trying to make it in the industry in the 90s, it was like he was making all this stuff on CDs and having to run to Staples and trying to get into cons was, you know, really difficult. The audience was so small. There wasn't social media to post on and, and YouTube and Kickstarter. You had to do it all yourself. And so the question is, is like, are we, are we seeing what is going to be the next dip, the result of all of these big names you know, going away from the pillar that is Dungeons and Dragons and they start to build their stuff. Are we going to see a dip because the audience will be so divided or because there is a lower barrier to entry into the industry, the industry will see a boom. We know that Gen Con, this last Gen Con, did like breaking numbers, over 80,000 people. They're preparing to build, you know, multiple new hotels. When I was at Gen Con, I was talking to a bartender um, at the hotel beside the Omni, and he was telling me that, like, they're building two new hotels in Indianapolis just because of Gen Con, because they know it's going to continue to grow. So the question is, is like, is that true? Are we going to see an even bigger boom now that people are doing their own thing? Or... Are we going to split the community so much that people are going to dip and it's going to go back into uh, the dark ages, I guess you'd say. So what are y'all's thoughts? So I'm of the optimistic side. I think that D&D is going to have a dip. And honestly, I think that is completely on Watsy. I think they shot themselves in the foot with the OGL thing and put all of this into motion. But it honestly reminds me of, uh, what was it, a year or two ago where Blizzard had that big, huge downfall where they had that, I don't even really, yeah, I really don't even know what all happened with it. Yeah. I just yeah. know. The Bill Cosby room. Yeah, I just yeah. know that they, yeah. they had that scandal and basically it was a mass exodus from World of Warcraft, but it did not kill MMORPGs. It caused a boom in other MM, or, yeah, in other MMORPGs. Um, Final Especially Fantasy fourteen. Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. What I was about to say. Final Fantasy had a huge boost around that time. Elder Scrolls Online had a huge boost. I'm sure there are others that I just don't know of that had a huge boost. And the MMORPG genre is still very much thriving after Blizzard's downfall. I think a similar thing is going to happen with TTRPGs. I think there's going to be a dip in D&D because there's going to be other options. Personally, I think it's a situation where D&D didn't necessarily have a mon- or sorry, Watsy didn't necessarily have a monopoly, but they were so massive that people couldn't necessarily see around the pillar that they were. And now you've got Pathfinder who came out and said, hey, our OGL's not going to do that bullshit. Pardon my French. So their pillar got bigger. Now you've got Matt Mercer over here saying, hey, we're not going to deal with Watsy's mess. So they're building their pillar. You've got DCC 
building their pillar. Hey, we're OG D&D. You've got Morkborg. Hey, we're Dark Souls D&D. <laughs> and then you've got Candela Obscura and so many others that are over here building up their little towers and getting their little followings because the little bricks are falling off of Watsis. And so I don't think it's going to take a dip in the industry in general. I think D&D is going to take the hit and everybody else is just going to boost up. I am of that same mindset as you, Fox, because I... You could definitely see it happening. I I will say I think the golden age of ours has already died. I think it died way earlier than did it say in the tweet when they thought it died. Um, because honestly, I could see the dip in twenty twenty one. Because COVID, yes, really like brought it up. 2020 was yeah. like the year. I yeah. think it died in 2021 when, you know, you saw this kind of downfall of people still actually playing. It was fun to play in 2020 because you got to be somebody different than, you know, you got to leave our existence of COVID. And people been Stranger Things. That's uh, fair. I feel like 2021 was kind of the year that Watsi started going down. It's all because they were bought by fucking Hasbro. Um, fully. Fully. Uh, but it's kind of one of those... I saw it happening before because that's when a lot of our third-party systems started to gain more traction than in 2020 because D&D was so accessible in 2020 when nobody could leave their house with D&D Beyond and all of these other things. After that, third-party systems, people could go back out to their game stores. People, you know, started going out to more bookstores because you could find... Critical Role's book at Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, like the one they published outside of Watsi. So I I feel like 2021 was the year that it initially started to die. It's because we could go out. Go ahead. He doesn't say exactly when he feels like it died. He says that. He has, it says here, um, he has like a list, a bullet points list of what he thinks the future will look like from here, from 2023 or okay. 2024 on, basically. Okay. Yeah. But like, I I could see it there. And, you know, all the stuff that has been happening with Wansi is, like you said, the bricks are falling. I feel like other people are grabbing those bricks and are saying, come here. Like, exactly. Come be on my pillar because they are, you know, not trying to pull the the bullshit that Wansi is trying to pull. Wansi's going to give us the cease and desist. <laughs> Possibly. Stop talking about our bullshit. <laughs> um, but, but, but I think you're right. Other, other companies are looking, they're seeing, okay, Wansi just 
really aggravated their fans. And I'm sorry, Watsy, if you do happen to listen to this podcast, but <laughs> they ain't gonna listen to this. You, <laughs> can you? I mean, I I doubt it too. But you know, Sparks is talking about the cease and desist. Uh, look, if you do listen, you know what you did because you know you released after like essentially your apology. So we're just yeah. regurgitating what you already know. But, but I mean, other, they, they know. They know. They, know. they, they showed know. up to Gen Con they for know. the first time in 20 exactly. years. They know. They know. <laughs> but the other companies saw what happened with Watsi. They're seeing the direction that things are going online, um, which is why companies that, like the one that produces uh, Pathfinder, is working toward making more accessible online features. Uh, World of Darkness is doing the same thing because I believe it's all on... Uh, Demiplane. Yes. World of Darkness is on there too. I forgot that I saw that mm-hmm. one on there too. Yeah, Demiplane was the one I was thinking of that had all of these things. Yeah. So these other companies are seeing it. They're seeing that online is a way to make their system more accessible to people as well. As you're seeing it more in in game stores as well. As I know... Other than one store near us, I didn't really see books other than D&D. And here recently, I have seen more. In other stores. I I, I can, I don't want to, like, name a name, you know, but the store that uh, I think you're talking about, it, it's because the owners got mad about the OGL crisis. And they were like, we're going to start carrying other they're going to start carrying other things because they disagreed with Watsi's actions as a company. So they were like, we need to start carrying other options because they can't, I don't want to say that they don't support Watsi because of course they do, but I don't think, I don't think it's set well with them. So I know when the game store I mostly go to, because I talked to the owner I used to play in his game, um, and, you know, when it happened, he was like, you know, we're going to start bringing in some smaller systems because, you know, people are interested in them. And also, like, I can, I would rather support those kind of creators. So actually, time, kind of thing. yeah, that was the story I was talking about that actually yeah. they had, they were the ones that already carried some other systems. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so also. This... Go ahead, Sparks. I'm sorry. Um. Just like seeing, and this is kind of this is kind of on that the dying, like people talking about like our golden age is dying. I mean, you've got to think. Critical Role is already doing it right now. They're already preparing. They're preparing for the swap over. They've they have Candela that came out. They have Dagger Hearts, and then they have an the Illuminate system. They've already announced. Those three, Candela is medium to long-term play because each session is basically a game. Dagger Hearts is your quick one-shot games and Illuminate is your big, long campaigns. They're already making these systems that are going to combat D&D that a lot of people are going to swap to because they know that it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. I tried to find some numbers because I would be really interested and I couldn't find any um, because like, you know, we had scheduling issues and the snowstorms and everything that happened that 
you know, I've been sitting on this topic for a couple weeks now, and I was trying to find some numbers that we could look at. Because the numbers I would love to have is how many people actually entered the the RPG space that play D and D, that play, not watch Critical Role, play D and D because of Critical Role. Because a lot of people argue that Critical Role its audience does not play D and D. That they just watch D&D. And that because they say that what happened was, of course, we have all heard of the Mercer effect. So the number, I would like to know the number of people that the Mercer effect happened to, that they tried it and they didn't like it and they don't play it. And versus the number of people who Critical Role got them into it and they've stuck with it for over a year. I would like just a year. They've been around for like seven or eight at this point. I would just like to know the true... I wish there was a way to find it out. I was trying to find something online, but I couldn't find numbers that people were like, yeah, I played D&D because of Critical Role and I've stuck with it versus, yeah, I played D&D one time because Matt Mercer's cool and the guy at the game store who is, you know, a teacher at, during the day and he has no voice acting or improv skills and he just has been playing D&D for years. I played with him and he's not Mercer, so I quit. Like, I would really like to know is the audience of Critical Role, are they core gamers or are they not? Are they just audience watchers or like, because I think that could be really interesting um, going forward because are the people who watch them going to play these systems or is it the people that have been brought in by them that are kind of interested in it are they gonna play it do they still exist i know that people like us who've been playing these you know different systems for years you know of course i have candle share at home i know that y'all do too like we're gonna play it but what is their audience actually when you look at the numbers are they really dnd players or are they just people who watch them play that's what i would be interested in because yeah, I, I just want to know. That'd be interesting to find out. I think it would be. So Ben, this is what he says, what he believes the future will look like. These are his bullet points. Sixth edition will not do well as fifth edition. More firings will happen um, from Watsi. No Matt Colville, the, MC, the MCDM RPG crowdfunding company campaign will ever do as well as this one. Cobalt Press post-OGL games like Tales of Valiant have been criticized for being too similar for 5e and perhaps it will slowly bleed fans in the same way and that basically it won't do as well because it's too it's too close to 5e. Um, that the million dollar TTRPG Kickstarters will decrease, attendance to major gaming conventions will plateau, TTRPGs will become less interesting, less exciting, less creative. And that basically it'll be more, it'll be a barrier to entry that making money in the space will become more difficult because the communities will be fractured. I, my personal concern, and this is my personal concern, is that because the barrier to entry keeps getting lower and lower, and he doesn't talk about that I saw, and I might have missed it, so don't like burn me in the comments, but... My concern about the future of the space is with the 
with chat GBT and AI art, the barrier to entry for people to crank out Kickstarters will be even lower. And it will be a race to the bottom, like the Apple store, like the PlayStation network, when PlayStation said, hey, we're going to open it up and anybody can publish on our, our store like they did in the PS4 area. And it became a race to the fucking bottom. And it is flooded with games now. Thousands upon thousands of games that never should be in there. They don't work. They're broken. They're, they don't, they have no value at all. That's what I'm scared about. He doesn't really talk about that. The future that I'm concerned about as somebody in like that works in the space and we have a publishing company that we're going to use Kickstarter to put our stuff out is the people who are going to use AI-generated stuff, whether it's dungeons, it's a system, because, I mean, it can do that, or it could be, it can, there's, you know, ChatGBT is making, like, dungeon master simulators so you can solo. You don't even need people to play D&D with anymore. It can do it for you. That AI will become such an easy thing and a cheap thing that why pay $60 for Candle Obscura, for as an example, Dagger Hearts, when it's like, well, I can get this whole system for two bucks. So, I'm gonna make an argument against that, that yes, that is a possibility that can happen, that a lot of systems that are not gonna be anywhere near as, as good as Candle Obscura or Pathfinder or D&D or World of Darkness are gonna pop up. But that already happens. If you go on the Steam library, there are so many games that are like $2 or less. And yeah. they're really broken. They don't but work. But you can return those. Okay, yeah, you can return them. But my point is, they're really cheap games that, yeah, you can play them for a little bit. Or you can't even play them because they're broken. But at the same time people usually will give those bad reviews and then other people will be discouraged from buying them or will only buy them because they're cheap. And then you have other small developers who randomly come out and they'll give you something for cheap and it's the the best thing that's come out lethal, in that genre in forever. Lethal Company is a testament I, to this is because it is $10. It's made by one person in their basement on their computer they yeah. developed it ten dollars it is the it was the number one selling game on steam so i was and also gonna all the bugs up. and the shit that happens in it it makes the game so much more fun but so it's I also gonna... go ahead sorry go ahead no go ahead no. no i'm sorry i just want to talk about lethal company i'm lethal company stan so <laughs> you can um, go ahead talk about lethal company i was just going to give some other examples like, no you go ahead tale. it was a it was a tangent <laughs> but there are no, lots but of I examples mean, of undertale's that undertale's like, great undertale five nights at freddy's uh just this weekend yeah. pal world was released and everybody kept saying it was just going to be pokemon with guns it's not it's probably not it's talk very, about very pal fun. world <laughs> but what i'm saying is like i'm worried that the ai stuff like gonna... undertale was made by humans I'm worried that AI stuff will flood Kickstarters. The yeah. like Kickstarter backer kit, it will flood those places and people will get so frustrated with having to comb through that what, they're not gonna what wanna... is good exactly. Yeah. Like that's it's that's gonna it's gonna become a flooded market and let's be honest. 
people are going to lie. I mean, oh, that it's AI generated because it's like you can't prove it. I mean, we've already seen that there are that are there are men who are generating OnlyFans accounts for fake women making millions a month and saying yeah. they're real. I mean, we've already seen them get busted. There's been like five within the last month. And so, like, I worry that 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 will be a factor in the future of our industry that Kickstarter is because the barrier keeps getting lower and lower and lower that it's just going to let more and more in. And then it's like, cool, you have no, you can't write, you have no creative ideas of your own. You, you don't have any idea how to build a system. All you did was make clicks. And then you're like, oh, cool. It scanned everything that's ever been made in the TTRPG space. It spit something out. You throw it on Kickstarter for two bucks because it's only two bucks. And you know, hundreds of people back it and they make money off of it and they've done two minutes of work. Yeah. And, it's, I, I and feel there's like, thousands of people who could do that. I feel like what it's going to turn into is for sites like that, I feel like it's going to turn into having people that are going to scan for that. It's going to open... I mean, let's be honest, it'll be great for the job market for Kickstarter because... Not because they'll get their their cut of everything that's sold on Kickstarter, but it's also it's like companies are going to have to start hiring people to come over and check all of this. And I think, how are they going to check it? The product's not made. I think what's going to end up happening is number one, yeah. places like Kickstarter are going to have to crack down, and number two, it's going to come to a point where companies are going to have to do something to prove that they are not generating these things with AI and or if they are generating anything with AI, they're going to have to put a sticker on it, contains AI generated, whatever. Yeah. I think it already asks you on Kickstarter now, are you using AI? It already asks you in like, you know, we did Chambers of Agony when I was setting up our Kickstarter page, there is a checkbox that says, is there AI generated content in here? And it says yes or no. Like, but I mean, people easily can people just, just gonna click. Yeah. They'll just, they can. Know, I mean, no. because it's based on the honor system, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, I guess frequency could answer that. Like if you're pumping yeah. out a Kickstarter as a company once a month, probably something fishy going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, where I said that Kickstarter will just have to crack down. And like Spark said, probably you know just keep an eye on it have people that go through and make sure these kickstarters are legit and not intentionally scams because here's the thing even though yeah technically on kickstarter your product's not supposed to be made you still give a little information about the product the idea to hook people in mm-hmm. it could easily that could easily be combed over to see but it also comes down to, I'm looking at you people that are listening to this and watching this. Don't be a shit person and don't use AI. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what I think the future holds, I think, I think I agree with you, Fox. I think that virtual tabletops will be a thing. Uh, I worry about them becoming basically D&D Fortnite, but I won't participate in it, so I don't really have to, I don't really care. Um, it's not really my problem. So, 
I worry, I worry more about AI art than I do VTTs. Um, I know our group is pretty solid, so I don't have to worry about it. But as a creator, I am more concerned about how AI is going to affect our industry versus how how critical role in other companies making other systems. To me, uh, I think you know that challenges Watsi to be better. Like if you're gonna fuck up. Like, and somebody else is going to say, hey, well, we're just going to make something better. Then they have to step up and make something better. And they just challenge each other and have to one up each other, you know, versus it's like, well, we're the only people and this is what you're going to get. And it's a shit sandwich and you're going to eat it because it's your only option. Like, that's that's how I feel about it. I feel like that there's almost like a call to arms that it's like, OK, well, we're not going to put up with this anymore because we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Drop the ball once. Well, and see, see that's, what happens. That's an argument I'm going to make against AI generation as well, because I know, or I've heard rumors. I don't know that during the writer strike a while back, Hollywood was putting out some AI generated scripts, and mm -hmm. obviously, also during the time of the writer strike, Hollywood put out a lot of stinkers, like really bad stuff. Well. Uh, well, most of them reason AI art and Magic the Gathering. Most that doesn't surprise me. Most of the the things that came out during the writer strike and then the actor strike were already filmed before. So if we're gonna see any of those that are like that, it will be now. Yeah. It won't be what came out last year because those that have already been filmed and those that already been whatever so that's, that's a fair point yeah so it's like if anything we'll either see them now or we'll never see them because they're back now so that's, that's fair yeah i still think that an no, ai just wrong. cannot compare no it can't i don't think it can compare no but i think that it might be a cheaper option and it might be a faster option and it's also and i'm not trying to be like shady or mean when i say this but you know to somebody who dreams of being mercer and it's like they don't have the talent to be mercer well they can they can try to be with a couple of clicks and it's like oh i can create awesome stuff just like him no you can't because you didn't create it you clicked on stuff and that's not the same thing that's the kind of stuff i worry about people being like oh look at my art that I generated. You didn't make that art. You stole that art. Yeah. Well. That's that's all I got to say on that topic. Unless y'all got other things y'all want to talk about. No, I don't think I have anything no. on that one. I think it's pretty well coming to you then. All right. So mine is short and sweet. And hopefully it's maybe not as heated. Uh, kind of like what I see kind of like in the future, like from now on. I feel like a lot of people, groups, players are not going to stick to playing long-form campaigns. I feel like a lot of what is going to happen is there's going to be a lot of like mini campaigns, like little one-shots, like four or five sessions of a game and then on to something else. We kind of see it, I, I see it now with Candela. That system is, you can do it as a one-shot. You could do it as a full campaign. But the thing is with that one is 
yes, you play kind of the same character throughout the story, but it's different every time. So I see a lot of games and groups turning to games like that than I do seeing them play Ravenloft for the Curse of Strahd for a year and a half. I see that happening more and more than really long form campaigns to kind of give variety and to not make it seem like you're like a chicken with your head cut off in a campaign of well, what do we do next? Thoughts. Erica, do you want to go or you want me to go? <laughs> I was just asking ask you the same. Uh, I'll roll and see who goes. Uh, you go first. All right. So I can definitely see where you would get that idea. We are in the age of short attention spans. TikTok, YouTube shorts, both very beloved pieces of media in this time. Just because they're very quick little videos that gives you that quick shot of, of endorphins that makes you feel good. So I could definitely see that. Also, people having busy lives. It's hard to get together. I mean, even our group... We've had a hard time getting together, especially with the holidays and everything. And even without the holidays, we good we do good to meet twice a month. And I can see where a group that can only get together maybe once a month or maybe even less. Or maybe they just don't know if they have time for a full campaign. We'll do shorter ones, like one-shots. I could definitely see that becoming a thing. But... I think it's also going to depend on your players because I mean, I know people that aren't really down for just a one shot. They want to sit down. They want to go through a story like uh, the players in my game. They're, they're looking at going for well over a year, depending on what they do. I mean, it all comes down to the individual group as well. And you're not wrong. Short attention spans. I agree. I think short attention span is a big thing. Um, I think some of it is laziness. I think some of it truly is. I know that sounds mean, but I and it's it's in my opinion, right? I think that D and D Beyond taught people to be lazy, right? When I started playing, it was like, cool, you want to play? Read the book. Okay, cool, you want to play? Make your own character. How'd you make your own character? You read the book. Nobody reads the book because you don't have to. Because D and D Beyond, click my character's made. Don't know how it works. Don't know how the numbers are generated, but they're there. And it's just click and tap. And and that's my jaded and probably old Gardner woman opinion, whatever. Um, but I, I, I see it. I hear it. I People are like, I, I have talked to people at game stores and at cons who are like, oh, I don't know. I've never read the book. I've never read the Dungeon Master's Guide. I don't... I just... I don't even know how to build encounters. I just go on D&D Beyond and it says like, you put in like CR, whatever, you know, encounter you want it to be easy, diff, you know, difficult, deadly, whatever. And it generates the monsters that would be good for that type of encounter. And they're like, cool, I'll pick that. And, and I don't have to spend time building my character. I don't spend time reading the books. I don't have to spend time doing X, Y, or Z because they'd rather be on TikTok. 
or they'd rather be doing whatever, fill in blank, playing Fortnite, whatever it is. Um, and it comes down to, I think a lot of it is pure laziness, priorities. Um, you know, to me, if I'm going to play a system, I'm going to read the book because I, that's how I look at it. I think that is part of the game, like looking up rules and looking up spells, being in the books is part of the game. And I think a lot of that is lost nowadays. People look at it as a hassle. And I understand, like, if you have a really demanding job and you've got kids and it's like, I don't have time to prep. I don't have time to do all this. I get that. I We all have lives and this is a hobby. But if you show up to game week in and week out and you don't know how to play your character, you don't know how to make roles, you don't know the rules, you're really hurting the, the, the session time. And like you said, we have to fight to get session time anyways. So I I know it sounds jaded and mean, but I think the ease of D&D Beyond has hurt the game, the industry in certain ways. And I do think some of it is laziness and I think some of it is people just, they got jobs, they got lives and it's just an, it's an easy button and, you know, instant gratification. And that's what we've gone to. Um, and I think a lot of, like you were saying, Sparks, like people go into shorter campaigns. Yeah. Like it's, it's easier. I got a one shot. I, it's already pre-made for me. Got off a of DM's guild and I'll just run it. And there you go. And you, you know, if you only can meet once a month, one shots is where it's at because the likelihood that the next time you meet, you're going to remember what happened is very low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, yeah. I know for our current Drakenheim game, I have a hard time taking notes. And even if I do take notes, half the time they're scattered and half the time I can't remember yeah. what happened. I think that um, ease of play is what appeals to people low prep appeals to people because it comes down to um you know some people have lower priorities for games some people have higher priorities for a game it's a fucking obsession for me so i don't have a problem with spending my all my free time doing this stuff because i love it and that's just who i am um you know i get hyper focused and hyper obsessive about stuff it's just part of my brain so that's the way I am. But I do see people, it's like, hey, we can play this, you know, this funnel and it's, we're at a con and we play it and it's easy and the characters are already generated. We didn't have to do it and we can just drink and have a good time. And it's beer and pretzels game. And I think a lot of people who have really demanding jobs and have kids and who are, I mean, like we've talked about, the majority of people who are right now who are playing in the industry that are players are people who are millennials and so most millennials are married and they have children so they don't have time like they did in college or back in the 80s when people were kids playing D&D and they're in their basement for all weekend with their buddies playing 12 hours a day I think that the population of people who are playing in the industry are driving what what they actually can you know, consume is smaller because they don't have the time for these big things anymore. And I do think some of it's laziness, but I do think it is life too. Yeah. I'm going to do a real quick hot take and you can be mad at me if you want, Erica. 
I have never read any of the books cover to cover because I have a hard time focusing on the words. But I get I get that. And, I think I th- and, think if you read other I will say this, Watsy's books are they're whew, hard to read. But, but other Dungeon Master books, I can give you some recommendations. They're very, very good to But read. you know how to play though. Ashley. I was gonna say, yes. but in Lu- like, and and I'm just saying this for other people who are similar to me that just have a hard time sitting down and focusing on reading. But there are videos. There are mm-hmm. all kinds of tutorials. And as far as building encounters, you might say it's an easy button, and it is. D&D Beyond, I can look up where the creature lives, do a little bit of research, and then go online and do more research about the creature. Because I can do that, but I can't sit down and read a book. And I get that. I and I totally lore videos. I mean, I love lore videos, and you know, like Coville and Professor Dungeon Master. You know, a, a, a Twisting Beast. A lot of the people on YouTube. I you know DM Luke, like DM's Slayer Luke. I mean, I've consumed their videos. But what I mean more like reading the books and to at least understand how to play and how to play your characters and how to, I'm talking bare minimum of just how to play. It doesn't have to be like you read the entire Dungeon Master's Guide and you read the entire Player's Guide, but at least read what your class can do and your race and read your spells, like is all I'm saying. I'm just saying bare minimum. At least do that. I know people who don't even do that. That's fair. I do do that obsessively. That's, I mean, that's all I ask for. I, I mean, carefully y'all, y'all curate that years. spell list. You, you, you know carefully. that's all I ask for from people. And hell, oh, like, yeah. I've taught most people at our yeah. table how to play. Like, you, I mean, like, y'all two or two of the people I've taught how to play. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, if, it, if you want my honest opinion, some of the best core rule books to read. Um, Fate of the Norns core rule book is awesome. Has nothing to do with D&D. But <laughs> that book, Andrew, like, my hat's off to him. Like, he did an amazing job on that book. It is entertaining to read. It is visually beautiful. And Shadow Dark is another one. That that book, I read it in a day. It was like two hours I sat down and read their core rule book. Like, Kelsey did an amazing job. I know you're never going to fucking watch this, but if you, if you ever do, like, hats off to you. And Castles and Crusades, Dungeon Master's Guide, the Keeper's Guide is what they call it. Um, That's one of the best DM guides I've ever read. Hmm. Hands down. See, but the thing is, too, you enjoy reading. I do. I do like reading. I, I can... Because... I can absolutely love the series. I can absolutely love everything about it. And I will still have the hardest time getting through one page. It's not because I but can't read. But you're still read. doing research, though. That's the weird thing. I can Google everything and research everything, yeah. but I cannot sit down and read a book. But you're still taking the time to learn the information. You're just doing it in a different way than I Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's the people who do none of that. That don't, and they just show up and they expect people to carry them. That's fair. Yes, for all of people watching, at least know how to play your character. Period. You don't have to know everything, but at least know your character. Does anybody else have anything to say on on that one? 
I had I have one thing I'd like to throw out there, and I just kind of want to see it, what y'all feel about this. It's something that it goes with your topic, Sparks, about, you know, systems being one-shots and it not being longer campaigns. A guy in my Castles and Crusades group said to me that he thinks that the younger generations, because there is such a gap between when, like, he started, he, I mean, he has, like, almost all the original, like, D&D stuff, right? He started back in the day. He's an old war gamer. D&D was born from war games, um, you know, and, and it slowly has gotten away from war games. And so it's more difficult, you know, when it started. It's more crunchier, and it's become less crunchy over time. Do y'all think that nowadays people are looking for less crunch and like we look at 5e and it's like super crunchy and so people are like we're just going to make it less crunchy and just continue to take the crunch out of it like people are looking for less crunchy systems and that's why we're seeing stuff like candela and um you know like shadow dark even i think it depends on the individual i think you get some people who as an example love Dark Souls, and they like the crunch, they like the grind. And then you've got some people who, as an example, like Telltale, and they just want to relax and go with the story. So it really just depends on the person, in my opinion. I think the less crunch is going to open the barrier for more people to start playing. Because it's easier, it's simpler, and you go... Everything is on this sheet. That is fair. That's it. You do don't you, have to do read. That's a detriment to people. I to get people into it. No. Mm-hmm. Now, if they want to branch out on their own to look into more things, it could scare them. But I think it all depends on how you approach it with somebody of like, hey, we're going to like, you know, do the system if they've never played before. Like, this is not like every other system. It's really simple. It's really easy for you to start just so that way you can play with us. And I think it, it it's having that open communication between you if they want to venture out into other systems if you're like they get done playing and they're like oh my god i had so much fun like you know i want to keep going like what can like whatever if you explain to them like not every system is like this some of them are more i i don't see it as a detriment because i see it as a way of getting people into the into it like crack dealers like i don't know sparks i think it's a double-edged sword I think, yes, it'll bring people in. That's what I said. Yes. But I think, yes, it'll bring (laughs) people in. But I think if they don't consistently have a group that plays that simpler system and they try to branch out, I think they're going to fizzle out because you have those other systems that are so crunchy. Um, Again, to use my example, if you... Like me, I hate Dark Souls. So if you take me from a world that's really, really simple... And throw me into Dark Souls, I'm going to throw my controller and leave. But that system is really simple, though, what you're comparing another system to Dark Souls system. I'm just, like, difficulty-wise. Like, difficulty to learn, because that's really what Dark Souls is, is is learning. It's learning how to play 
and learning how to to dodge and things like that. That's that's what I mean. Oh, by you like, can't dodge in Dark Perry. Souls. You are fucking to the ground. Perry. Perry. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I I hate Dark Souls. Love Bloodborne. Love Soulsborne games, but I hate Dark Souls because I like using to be able it, to move. Just using it as an example because I know it's difficult, and that that's the only reason I use it as an example. Um, so the reason why I asked is because uh, the guy who was talking about uh, his name is Brandon. Um, I don't think he listens, but if you do, hey Brandon. Um, so we were talking about it, and he we were talking about you know, is it when you bring someone in, is it better to start them at something like Five E because it is crunchy, it is learnable because it's hard. He feels like it's harder to it's harder to learn a more difficult system to go back right like start with 5e and then it's like okay cool now we're gonna play thaco we're gonna go backwards he feels like that starting people at something that's super easy and simple like honey heist is is gonna be a detriment to them because they're gonna it's a very simple system and then when you start taking them to something like 5e it's like okay now we're getting more difficult versus starting somewhere almost in the middle like 5e and going back to thaco which would be more difficult and crunchy i do I not agree because we have seen this erica me and you both have seen this in person with my roommates we tried 5th edition. It scared them off because they didn't want to play 5th edition because it was too much. Yeah. Then we played Mask being a simpler system. They enjoyed that a lot more because it wasn't as much. Starting off smaller and working your way up is going to be 10 times better than throwing somebody into 5th edition and going here. Because if you point. do that, it could scare them off and they never want to play again. That's it could. I was so, I just thought it was an like when you said something about like simpler systems and one shots and smaller campaigns, it made me think about the discussion I had with him and I thought I'd you know, since we're talking about simplifying game basically, if you felt like going forward, it's better to introduce people in a simpler system versus something that is more what I would consider mid like 5e because I don't want to do day, that though. Yeah. <laughs> at the at the end of the day, I think it depends on the individual. Yeah. I agree. I think people depending on where you're where you are with math and your relationship with math, I think that has a lot to do with it. And your relationship with how dedicated you're going to be to the hobby. And that too, if you're willing, willing to to do a little bit of research, and yeah. how much because, reading you want to do. Like, and let's be honest, like your re roommates didn't do much research. Well, yeah, when it comes to it, like you. Both but it was also, more, so. yeah. Well, it's also it's that's going to be simpler because they're going to try to make characters they should not be playing. Because it's the same thing. You first time players, we talked about it before. No magic. Don't play druids. No Don't magic. Play warlocks, <laughs> warlocks are pushing it, but like I, I feel like they, they they can difficultly play a magic user. It's going to be difficult. Don't play a druid. 
Don't play a druid. Don't. Or I made that or mistake. Wizard. Unless, do it. No. Unless yeah, you're gonna do this, the scrab one or whatever that that easy mode wizard that uh, Tosh just came out with. Oh no! If I was somebody who was gonna play a wizard, I would tell them to play a bladesinger. Yeah, Blightsinger oh, yeah. would probably be cool. easier. Because they're like melee. They're melee wizards. Yeah. They're yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah. I feel like they're 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 like wizard warlock mode. So the thing with spellcasters that I found from having one that's new and chose a sorcerer, um when she runs out of spell slots or goes into a place where there is no magic, she feels like she's just dead weight because she can't do anything. Yeah. Probably because her strength is probably not the highest, so she can't really. Yeah. 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 But. The dump stat um, for magic users. <laughs> but that's why a blade singer or a warlock would still be okay, or even a bard to an extent, because you typically still have something you can do. Yeah. But as a general rule, it's better for new players to play melee because it's a lot simpler. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. Is that it? I think so. I believe so. All right. Well, welcome to 2024. We'll see what happens. Welcome to 2024. We'll see how many of our predictions actually come true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, we hope you guys enjoy the episode and we'll see you. When When is this coming out, Sparks? February 2nd. Okay, cool. Oh. So if just FYI, if you're going to be at GaryCon, Sparks and I will be there. If you uh, see me, more than likely you, you will see Sparks uh, in in human form. So make sure you say hi. Just wanted to throw that out there. If you're, you want to say hi. We'll probably to. wear our shirts one day. We have shirts. You will, oh, yeah, you will be I'm disappointed. Definitely... Sparks does not have as big boobs in real life. No, but I got well, a fat I mean, ass, so I, that's I, why we're ending this episode. I, no, <laughs> we buy you a breastplate, and we do that. That's what we do. We buy you a breastplate. I'll get you a breastplate. But you know what? I mean, I had the big breast, but I got the fat ass, so I'll, that's how we're going to end that. We'll get you both. We'll get you both. <laughs> but, no, but we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey travelers, thank you so much for watching this episode of Dice and Dish. We really hope that you enjoyed it. And what are some of your predictions for the tabletop RPG community in 2024? We would love to hear them, so make sure to leave them in the comments section uh, under the YouTube video. And while you're over there, you might as well just like, comment, and subscribe on all of our videos on YouTube and turn on the little uh, notification so that way you know whenever a new video goes live. Also, you should totally subscribe on whatever podcast service you're listening on to know whenever a new episode goes live. So yeah, we really hope you enjoyed it. And our next episode is going to be coming out on February 16th. And it's going to be a pretty magical episode. So yeah, we hope to see you there. See ya. Bye.